Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility can count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Please keep your Bible safe. Well, let's start our pray. Father, thank you for this time when we can study the Bible together. Please help us to take things that can sound really familiar to us, stuff we've heard before, but make it new to us, we pray, and bring us to love Jesus more and to be more like him. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, friends, if you had your time again, uh, I wonder what uh, careers advice you wish uh, you'd had. Leaving school, you want to uh, go out and make a big imprint on the world. What advice do you think uh, would have been good for you to have way back in those days? Or maybe you're about to get to that stage. I want to plant a new dream career in your mind and in your heart, and that is to be a servant. A new ambition to rise all the way to the bottom. I mean rise, because the new ambition I'm giving you is to be like God and to rise to the bottom, which is how God is ambitious. And that is the definition of success. Now, people who've been in church get bored at this point. They've heard the concept before. They've had the idea before. It's nothing new. And I want to disturb the sleepy way in which we can nod to the idea of being a servant by using a word to wake us up. And the word I want to use is to say that this should become our obsession. Now, I don't want to just simply use that word as a shock tactic, because it's got meaning. Because the person who we're looking at tonight, who served, actually went as far as dying for that ambition. 
So you could say he was obsessed to take it that far. And I'd like it to be our ambition too. If you're someone who's not a Christian, uh, it's easy, isn't it, to listen to me say things like that and to say, well, there you are, that's the reason I'm not a Christian. I don't want to be a doormat. Why should I want let other people ride all over me? Well, I don't think we're talking about being a doormat, actually, because if you look at verse 4, let me ask you, is this not the sort of world that you would like to live in? A world in which people don't look after their, look to their own interests, but look to the interests of others? Is that not something that you would like in your society? Isn't it? Well, in that case, don't write any of this off until you get to the end and you've had a chance to see what the Bible is teaching us. And what the Bible is teaching us is how to be a servant. And maybe the way to start and to work out how to be a servant is first to start by working out how not to be a servant. What will stop serving in its tracks? Let me suggest a strange thing. What will stop serving in its tracks is if you start thinking of serving as things to do to serve. It sounds like uh, if you're thinking about being a servant, you've got a course of things, things to do to serve, but I want to suggest that actually if we think of action, will begin to lose what it means to be a servant. Let me give you an example. A lot of people say that in most churches, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. So what do those churches do? They have a little gift audit or survey. What are you good at? And then what they try and do is they divvy up the different jobs that everybody's doing so that more people take their fair share. And so therefore, uh, people begin to serve different things, different tasks, different actions. Now, that might even sound like that's a Bible thing to do because the Bible talks about the body being, like the church being like a body with different members and each member does its own little thing and you could say, well, that's what we're talking about, aren't we? When we talk about people doing different things. But it may be just helpful to say that when the Bible talks about the church as a body with different members, like different parts of the body, that part of the Bible is really using that picture to say that therefore one part of the body should value another part of the body and not say it's useless. Okay? That part of the Bible is there to teach us about valuing uh, parts of the body. It's not talking about um, using different parts of the body. And there's a big difference between the two. Because if you want to serve, what you do need is verse 5. What uh, verse 5 says is not that you need certain um, uh, things and tasks to do, 
but you need to have this mind amongst yourselves. So it's not different actions that you need to be a servant. You need a different attitude. In fact, some of the, the older translations say, not have this mind, but have this attitude amongst yourselves. It's not about actions. It's about having this attitude. You see, if it's actions, then serving can stop when the action, that particular action that you're doing, is finished. Your job's done. And when that job is done and the serving stops, that's actually when pride can start. Because the job's done, you did it. Good for you. It's also actually where resentment can start, where you've done your job but other people have not their job. If it's actions, then serving can become actually pride. Self-serving. But this is what attitude is that we want to talk about. And servants are people with attitude. It's just a different kind of attitude. And to find out what a different kind of attitude is, have a look at verse 3. Because verse 3 will tell us how it's got a negative first and then a positive. Let me read it to you. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Okay? That's the negative. Here's the positive. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Okay, let's look at the negative to start with. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, which is to put ourselves first, which is how we are naturally. Verse 3 is telling us, holding a mirror to us, showing us what we're really like. This is how we like to be. We have selfish ambition. This is what comes naturally to us. We like people serving us. We like being pampered. We pay for other people to cook for us. Okay, you live in Dagnum, you don't go to restaurants, you get the takeaway. Same thing. Other people do the work. We like our online shops. We don't even need to go out anymore. We can have everything right, brought right to our door. Now look, I'm not saying that it's bad to do any of that. That you mustn't have another takeaway meal, you mustn't have another online shop. I'm not saying any of that. Look, our economy thrives on a certain amount of selfishness. Because when you want things like that, you're giving jobs to other people, which isn't a way to serve them. I'm not saying that's a bad thing in the economy. I'm just saying it's not such a great thing when we're like that in our personal relationships. Can you see the difference? That's when it starts going wrong and Paul says, and we need to hear verse 3 again, do nothing out of selfish ambition. We really do need to let that strike in. This is what we naturally are. This is what our hearts are normally like. Ambition, if you think about uh, what ambition is, it is to rise to the top of the tree so that um, you have more people working under you. We value people, we say they've got the important jobs, by the number of people they've got working for them. So you start off in the army as a very lowly lieutenant, 
and you might have a, a platoon to look after. But you want to be the colonel of the regiment where you have a number of platoons and people serving you. And that's true of every career, isn't it? You want to rise to the top, when you get to the top of the tree, you've got lots of branches underneath you looking up. That's how it works. Now, again, I'm not wanting to say that promotion is a bad thing. Okay? I want to say that it's a good thing to have uh, competition because that raises our game and helps us to do better. All I'm saying is that when you import that into the area of relationships, that's when uh, you get uh, rivalry in a way that is unhelpful. And so we need verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Friends, be honest. This is what your heart and mine, this is how it starts. This is what we're normally like. But now for the positive. In humility, count others more significant or more important than yourselves. Now, there is a task element, there is an action element to that if you look at verse 4, because looking after people and looking out for their interests is going to require practical action. That's true. But the driver of that action in verse 5 is the attitude of the mind, or if you like, just the attitude that we have. And if you want to drive your action with that attitude, here's the key. Big key. Don't forget this key. This is the key that will open up the door to serving. And the key is very simply this. You need to have been served. In order to be a servant, the one thing that you need is to have been served and to value the person who served you. Fill your mind with him and with that and the door will open. And this person is an interesting model because when Paul says, I want to teach you how to be a servant, he doesn't interestingly go to the lowest of the low. He doesn't go to the Dalits in India and says, okay, they are the menial, they are the outcasts, they are the ones who do any serving job you want. Go and model yourself on them. Let's go and study the low. No. When Paul wants to talk about serving, he goes to the top. He goes to someone who was, in verse 6, in the form of God who had all the privileges of God, who had all the nature of God. And he had the rank for everybody else to serve him, but his ambition was to be served. Not, sorry, his ambition was, let, 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 let me wash my mouth out with soap. Uh, it's the other way around. His ambition was, to serve um, and not to be served. 
He served other people when they brought their needs to him, when they had, if you like, felt needs. Um, so that uh, when a person who was blind came to him, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? That's a servant question, isn't it? And he said, I want my sight. And he gave him his sight. He met a person's felt needs when they went and asked him. But he went well beyond that and he served people's needs that they didn't know about by dying for them on the cross. Now, as I say, this man must have been obsessed with service, serving if he went that far in order to do that. Now, my friends, I don't know whether you can value a person who died for you on the cross because I think that's a bit of a struggle for us. Most of us can't think why he had to go and do that. Uh, we know that the Bible tells us that he died in our place. He took God's judgment in order that God could forgive us. Yeah, we know the theory. Our, our difficulty is we don't feel it. Because none of us are Category A prisoners. We all do our best. We like to think that uh, we play our part to serve and help other people. We don't think we need that much forgiveness, really. But I want to suggest there are two things that may help us to value the person who died for us on the cross. The first is, think about it, if there is a God, wouldn't you expect that God to know what you need maybe better than you do? Isn't that logical? And he might recognize that you've got a need that you don't feel you have. It's a bit like going to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses that you've got cancer. Now you actually feel fine. But you take the doctor's word for it. That that's what you have. Now, that's how it is with what God tells us in the Bible. That we don't feel it, but actually our lives are riddled with sin. And it is a life-threatening disease. And just like we take the doctor's word for it, even though we don't feel like that's our problem, then all, in the same way, take the Bible's word for it, that this really is serious. It requires this death for you to be given new life. Take the Bible's word for it, even though you don't actually feel that bad yourself. The other thing that might help, and that is to see that actually there are little symptoms that we can see that maybe there is a sickness in us. That sickness is called selfishness. And when you begin to notice the little symptoms of selfishness in your life coming out different ways, big and small, where you want other people to serve us rather than us to serve them. Well, at that point, I think we can grow in our understanding of how the Lord Jesus stepped in unselfishly to pay for our selfishness.
and to serve us with his forgiveness for our selfishness. That is the key to being a servant. The key to being a servant is not to say, I'm a Christian, therefore I must go out and serve. The key to being a servant is to think, I have been served brilliantly. And no one can become a servant until they have been served. And that needs to be the big thing in our minds. It's a bit like the night before Jesus died. The night before Jesus died, to help his disciples understand what he would do the next day, he washed their feet. And it was to do with the most dirty part of your body because when you walked in the streets of a city in sandals in those days, you picked up everything on the streets onto your feet. They were the least attractive part of you when you got anywhere. And Jesus washed the dirtiest part to show his disciples what he was going to do the next day when he died on the cross. It was a visual aid of what was going to happen the day after. Now, Peter, at that stage, didn't want him to wash his feet. But interestingly, he told Peter that until he washed his feet, he said, you won't have any part of me until I wash your feet. And only after Jesus washed his feet could Peter do what Jesus commanded him to do, which was to love other disciples the way Jesus had loved them. Because it's not just go and love other disciples, it's love one another as I have loved you. Only when you understand what it is to be loved by him can you go out and then start loving other people. Peter had to be washed first, had to be served first. And so when we find serving hard, that's where we go. We remember, first and foremost, you have been served. And that will open uh, the opportunity of serving others. Now, I want to suggest there are three wonderful encouragements here to say not just that Jesus did it, but to show you can do it. The first encouragement is there in verse 1. The work has started in you already. Where it starts in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if means since. Yes, these things have started. It's already begun. So make my joy complete and do this. Become a person like this. That's like asking the person who's understood their two times table, look, you can do a two times table, right? Okay, make my joy complete by dividing 300 by 2. You can do it. You started already. And therefore you can. So serving like this is not alien to a Christian. In verse 5, you already have this mind. It's yours in Christ Jesus. The minute he served you. Gone, you started. This is not Mission Impossible. 
Second, when you look at verses uh, eight, uh, 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 verses nine and ten, especially rather, you see that in the future, this is the life that will be seen as the successful life. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, this servant. Give him the name that is above every name. You see, Jesus was highly exalted for his servant work. This is the only success story. Success ultimately is not about you reaching the highest rank there is in the army or anywhere else. It's not about being the business, the biggest business tycoon in the city or anywhere else. It's not about achieving the highest academic success in Oxford or Cambridge or anywhere else. It's not about being part of a very successful church plant in Beckentry or anywhere else. Just one thing will count for success at the end of your life. Whether you've had this attitude, whether you had this ambition, if you, whether you had this obsession, the way Jesus had it. Did we count others more significant the same way Jesus did? My friends, nothing else you achieve in your life will count. This will count. This is what matters at the end. And then thirdly, remember Jesus served you because frankly, you will hit the pain threshold very quickly if you want to serve like him. Why? Because the people that you serve, very quickly you will see, are not the most attractive people to be with. If you become part of a church family and get close to people, you will see their flaws, you will see their struggles. People are picky and petty and touchy. Every time you get people getting close relationships with each other, you will discover that. So we've got to bring our minds back to him serving us. Otherwise, our serving will stop. What does that mean for us today? Well, if you're new to Christian things... And it's easy for us to think, ah, write it off, I don't want to be a doormat. Can you see, we're not asking you to be less than the highest person that ever lived. And the question is, wouldn't you like to be a person where verse 4 would describe you? where you are not looking for your interests, but looking for the interests of others. Wouldn't you want to be a person where that would be truly said about you? But my friends, if that is the case, then it is really helpful to start with honesty. To start by admitting that actually our lives are described really well at the start of verse 3. 
where we uh, see that um, uh, we're essentially filled with uh, ambition, selfish ambition, and we work with conceit. Because only when we see that will we be open to our need where Jesus serves us. We want him to serve us. We ask him to serve us when we realize what our selfishness is really like. And at that point he opens the door for us serving like him. What happens if you wear the church badge? Uh, You've done the church rounds before and you've sung the songs about serving. You know the danger of going around churches is that we reduce serving to services. So we go to a service on Sunday and, yep, we've served. Or we might even do a bit more. We might join a rotor and do some tea and coffee and do the extras. Think of tasks. But can you see that actually what we're looking at today is a new kind of serving? They talk about a serving attitude. And it is interesting, there are lots of churches where the jobs get done, but where the relationships are superficial. Because the serving attitude is missing. What if you are a real believer? Well, my friends, isn't it true that uh, real believers also need to admit that we know the theory, we just don't do the practice? Verse 3 shows us the selfishness in our hearts. And the new beginning begins with a new ambition. To keep this idea of the Lord Jesus serving you. Every time you hit the pain threshold, think, now, he served me. Because that will free you up to serve others. And I want us to, to make that the real obsession. It won't be something that we learn overnight. But from now on in our Christian lives, let this be the driving ambition. Let this be the driving attitude. Let this be even our obsession that we want to so much put in front of us the Lord Jesus serving us that ours becomes a church where we're very happy to serve others. Let's take a moment, maybe where we pray. It may be if you're someone who's new uh, and you just want to admit to God your selfishness, admit to God that actually, yes, the cross was important for you because even though you don't feel like you're a sinner, uh, you take Jesus' word for it, you want him to serve you, to forgive you, to wash you. Ask him in this moment of quiet. Maybe for someone who's done church rounds, maybe you've done church tasks, maybe you've done the actions, maybe what you need to ask God for is the attitude. And maybe if you're someone who's a believer, why don't you fervently pray that Jesus will just so make you aware of his serving you that you start a new life serving others. Let's take a moment, a minute, to pray.
and then after that I'll pray. And then we'll have some questions, have some answers. Um, <clears throat> I might have the questions, you might have to give me the answers, but uh, we'll work that out when we get there. Let's pray first. In a moment of quiet, let's talk to God. Father, you have served us in various ways. We've needed you to serve us in our lives. And you've served us in ways where we haven't seen the need. But you've gone deeper and seen them yourself. Now, Father, it is incredible for us to think that there is a God like this when all around us, every model we have is that the desire is to be served. And please, we pray, break this desire in us where we are selfishly ambitious and conceited. And please give us a new ambition to remember how Jesus has served us. particularly when we find it hard to serve. And then we pray, help us to serve others like him. And we pray this for the glory of his name. Amen.